This podcast is an interview with the Conservative candidate for the 2019 general election in the Hitchin and Harpenden constituency. You can hear the other major party candidates in other podcasts at radioverulam.com slash election. Bim Afalami was first elected as the Member of Parliament for Hitchin and Harpenden in 2017. He lives in a village near Harpenden with his wife Hetty and their three sons. Before entering Parliament, he had a career in the city, first as a lawyer and then as a senior executive. Bim Afalami, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Now, um, tell us a little bit about you and your connection to the area. Well, uh, my my main sort of connection to the area and being so proud to be MP for this area is, you know, really through my parents. I mean, my dad's a, a doctor in West Hertfordshire Trust. So that's, for those who don't know, St. Albans, Hemel and Watford. So I really grew up really in the NHS around this area. And when I when I say grew up in the NHS, I really mean that. Uh, often when my parents didn't um, have anybody to look after us, <laughs> we'd end up being taken to hospital, uh, whether it be not because we were ill, but just because there was no one to look after us. So uh, I, I spent a lot of time in St. Albans, Hemel uh, and Watford hospitals and, and as a child all the way through till the present day. And it's been such a joy to be the MB for, for Harpenden and Hitchin and all the surrounding villages. Great. Now, now, what have you done for your constituents over the last 12 months? Gosh, <laughs> what have I done for them? You don't have to list it all, obviously. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Have you, have you got, have you got, uh, no. Um, my main focus over the last 12 months has really been, been threefold. The first is being a moderate, sensible, compromised voice on Brexit. I uh, was elected on a manifesto in 2017 to, to deliver on the result of the referendum. Um, but do so in a smooth and orderly way. And I've done that. And I've worked cross-party with Labour MPs like Stephen Kinnock, for example, trying to to do that. And I think that that's what my constituents want me to do. And that's one thing I've done. Do they? Uh, do they? Because in the referendum, they voted pretty heavily to remain. Uh, but my point being that I was elected very clearly on a manifesto to deliver on the result of the referendum um, with well over 50% of the vote. and I And I have sought to implement that but more locally my main focuses have been working on increasing school funding and keeping our schools in Harpenden, Wheatonstead, Redbourne uh, as good as possible. I, my first maiden speech, my maiden speech in parliament was about increasing school funding uh, and we have now got that increase in my constituency uh, if we're the Conservatives are returned again at the general election. The average increase in school funding will be about 4.6% with more similar increases year two and year three. So that is something that I've been working on very, very much. And then the third thing I'd like to say, uh, and this is a slightly odd one, is really working to save sort of community assets and local pubs. There's a a, uh, a pub called the Windmill Pub in the village of Charlton, which is a bit further north from, from Harpenden, sort of in the villages in between Hitchin and Harpenden. And the Charlton lots of people in the community want to save it and I've been working with them to try and do so and I hope next year we can get to that point. And talking of, of pubs and businesses generally, it's business rates, isn't it, that, that seems to be the issue and isn't part of the issue actually a national policy that, that was implemented that seems to have gone a bit wrong? I don't think the policy's gone wrong. The policy is working in the way it was designed. I just don't think it's a very good system. So, uh the, the, the truth is, is that we need a wholesale review of business rates. The difficulty 
to be frank, is that business rates have raised, they're one of the longest standing taxes we have, and they've raised, it raises so much for the exchequer that it, it, it's been difficult to find an alternative. But within the constraints of the existing business rate system, we have cut the business rate for small retailers by a third um, over the last two years. That is a that's a significant difference. And when I go down Harper and High Street, which faces challenges, a bit like Hitchens Town Centre, a bit like many high streets and town centres across the country, Harper and High Street, the small retailers tell me, look, things are hard and we need things to be improved. But that cut in a third for business rates really made a difference. Talking of the National Health Service, you've mentioned about your first-hand experience of it. What do you think about the National Health Service here and in the country in general? It's... It's very good at times. It's less good at others. Uh, like any national system, the difficulty is you. there are areas of absolute brilliance and excellence, but then there are obviously areas where things fall back. Very locally, uh, Watford General, um, St. Albans and Hemel is having an investment of £400 million uh, that's been um, delivered by this government, and that will come in if we're re-elected. I think that that's important. Now, it personally, I'd have loved to have seen a brand new hospital built. But ultimately, that is, you know, we, £400 million is not insignificant. It will result in certain um, rebuilding of the site at Watford and also money will go into Hemel and St Albans. I think that that's important. I think the Luton and Dunstable Hospital, not very far away. Yes, Luton, and a lot of your constituents will yes, end a lot up going of my there on A lot of my constituents right? use, use Luton and Dunstable or indeed the Lister Hospital in Stevenage. But um, in relation to the Luton and Dunstable Hospital, it's been given an investment of almost just under £100 million to upgrade it. That's capital investment really needed. And I'm also involved with raising money for the helipad, a uh, new helipad that we're trying to get done at Luton and Dunstable as well. Now, there isn't enough money, as you've said, to build a new hospital, but, but your party is uh, pledging to put a lot more money into things like the National Health Service. Where's that money going to come from? Well, it comes from sensible management of the economy. And when I speak to... So well, has, has there not been sensible management of the economy up till now? So we're going to get more money because you're going to manage it sensibly now? No. When you manage economy <laughs> sensibly over a period of time, you can accumulate reserves. You can accumulate savings. It's like any family household. What we've done over the last few years is we've been very sensible. In some, We've been very fiscally prudent. For some people, we've been too prudent fiscally. And I, I accept that criticism. But now, having done that hard work, having made those hard yards, that's when we've now got a bit of a bit of freedom, a bit of cash to spare. That money should be split, in my judgment, by between public services and trying to lower taxes on working people and on businesses. And there's obviously a, a debate about the, the uh, proportions in which you do that. But that's what I think we're we're going to do. Well, your your current uh, or ex-chancellor um, has said that you're going to borrow more. When did you discover that borrowing was a good idea? Because it's been a bad idea for quite a long time, hasn't it? Well, borrowing is necessary for any government. But what we've done is through our sensible management of the economy, the people who we borrow from, i.e. the international bond market, that's people from all over the world who want to buy British government debt, have reduced the interest that we have to pay on that debt. And the reason why they've reduced it is they know a sensible government 
is in charge. Is but, but, hang and, on and a minute. As a result, that, those bond rates have been low for a very long time. No, but no. You've, you've constantly argued that you need to have austerity and not borrow money. But now there's an election on the way. You're going to borrow money. Sajid Javid said an extra hundred billion pounds of public spending funded in part by borrowing. He even commented that you could probably double that. It seems right. like all that fiscal responsibility has just gone out the window. Right. So you, let me finish my point. Because of the sensible management of the economy, the interest rate over time has gone down. You say it's been low for a very long time. It's lower now than it has been at any point since 2010, right? So, so that makes a difference. And by the way, very small differences when you're talking about hundreds of billions make a significant difference on a month by month basis. But in addition to that, after what we've managed to do is we've managed to also grow the economy. So the key metric that many investors, indeed most international investors look at, is your debt as a percentage of your total GDP. Okay, Our debt now as a percentage of our total GDP is falling and will continue to fall. When we came in in 2010, it was going completely in the wrong direction. And so that is how we're, we're able to borrow sensibly. We're able to spend money on public services and on re, um, reducing taxes for working people and for businesses. That is the result of a sensibly managed economy. And by contrast, if you have Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell, every single person listening to this knows the sort of chaos that will come if they get on get get in charge of the public finances. Well, they don't know that, do they? And and actually, you're making an argument for any government borrowing money, actually, aren't you? Because you're saying, well, bond rates are low, we can borrow money cheaply, and then we can invest in our services and grow the economy. That's exactly the argument that Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell are making too. Um, no, I was I was making a more nuanced argument. It's two part. The first part is because we have proven ourselves as a party and as a government in terms of how we manage the economy, the bomb rates keep falling. And that those two things need to be, you, know, you need the, the sensible people in charge for that to happen. But secondly, we are still going to keep debt falling as a percentage of GDP. This is not debt rising as a percentage of GDP. Debt will continue to fall overall as a percentage size of our economy. So that is the key metric that will continue to be in place. Let's move on to something else that people, some people say is going to have a negative impact on the economy, and that's Brexit. What's your view on the European Union? What makes you believe your constituents are wrong and that we should, we should leave the union? It's not about being wrong or right. It's about well, the fact you we are had a, saying You are saying no, that you're, no, the majority said, of your constituents I've are wrong. I've never said my constituents were wrong. I voted Remain myself in 2016. I've never said my constituents were wrong. What I'm saying is political judgment was made in the referendum. Now, I happen to not think referenda are necessarily the best devices to deal with every problem. I happen not to like the Scottish referendum for that matter. However, once you have had a referendum, once you've done that, and I remember very well Paddy Ashdown and Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and David Cameron and everybody at that time saying, this is a once in a generation opportunity. There isn't a second vote. Once you do that, it is up to Parliament and up to politicians to implement the result of that. That is a fundamental part of our democracy. I will not resolve from that. So when when do you think it becomes an MP's duty to vote in favour of things which are nationally favourable against the wishes of your constituents? Is that always? No, I I I don't believe that people's wishes are stuck in aspic. As well, I'm not, a, no, a I'm not suggesting time. that. I'm just saying on a particular issue, there must be issues where perhaps the nation believes in something that you, you have voted against. I'm just wondering when national views override your constituents' views. Well, every single vote you take 
there's a mixture of things. You have the party view, you have what you stood on at your manifesto, you have your own personal view, you have what your constituents may think. And also, because often it's actually quite hard to know what your constituents think at any given time, because you can't do an opinion poll of everybody. That's what elections are called. Also, you often have minorities that have a very strong view about something, though it is a minority view, and you've got to take that into account. I use one issue in particular, assisted dying, which is a very difficult issue. There are some people who feel very, very strongly we need to change the law on that. But I don't think it's necessarily something that a majority of my constituents have a strong view on. In, in, in which case, do you see what, what, what represents your constituents' view? It's very difficult. So the well, job you, of a parliamentarian, on Brexit, the job of a parliamentarian is to look at everything, weigh up everything, make a decision. And then at the election time, you see what people thought of it. What do you say to the 60% of people in your constituency who voted to remain? What, what do you say to them on the doorstep? Why, why is it a very good idea for us to leave, apart from the fact that marginally more people in the nation want to leave than to stay, or at least did want to leave? I'll, I'll tell you what they tell me, which is the majority of them tell me, look, I, I, I think we have to abide by the result of the referendum, even if I didn't necessarily like it, uh, because they believe that that's an important principle of democracy. And in addition, what I also hear from people, and I myself used to work in the city, obviously both as, uh, as a lawyer, then in banking at HSBC. And I know lots of people who do what I used to do still, which is buying and selling businesses, investing hundreds, if not billions of pounds in this country. They say that, look, the country's made the decision. It's been hanging around for three years. We need to move on, end the uncertainty and move forward. And that's why, as we sit here, the, the Conservative Party's leading in the polls significantly. Obviously, we can polls move around and we'll see what happens at the end is because that argument is the one that is weighing with the country at large. And I believe that my constituency is is similar in that sense. You've raised the question of trust of the Labour Party with the economy. Um, trust is quite a key issue in this election, fake news and so on. Should people trust Boris Johnson and believe everything he says? Well, I'm afraid the Prime Minister, people say, oh, you know, he wanted a a no deal. He wants a no deal. And then he got a deal. And all the people who said he wanted a no deal didn't have anything to say. So they sort of faddle around for a bit. And then they convinced themselves that this deal was a no deal. And they kept saying that. I mean, it's just nonsense. No, sorry. I, that wasn't really the question I asked, was it? I, uh, should people trust Boris Johnson and believe everything he says? No. What, what I'm, what is I'm saying no? What I'm saying is that he... No, it's not no. I'm, what I'm illustrating is that there is a lot of, you know, um, in my judgment, unfair criticism of the prime minister when he says he's going to do something, he absolutely tries his hardest in order to achieve that. Sometimes he gets there, sometimes he doesn't. But that's like any of us. He absolutely tries his hardest. And more often than not, he surprises people on the upside by delivering on what he says he's going to do. He said he was going to invest in schools. He's done it. He said he's going to invest in the NHS. He's done it. He said he's going to get a deal on Brexit. He got it. I'm not going to try this question more than once more, but should people trust Boris Johnson and believe everything he says? Well, I've, I've explained to you that he is, when the prime minister in fact, more so than lots of other politicians that I've come across, when he says, I am going to do X, he absolutely either delivers that or tries his absolute hardest within everything in his power to do so. I don't think you can ask anything more of him, me or anyone else. OK, um, let's move on to uh, an issue. Um, your, your leaders in the past have talked about One Nation Toryism and the just about managing jams. But what have they actually done to address the issues of poverty and inequality? The Trussell Trust just last week saying that food bank use has risen 73% over the last five years. That doesn't seem like a terribly good indicator of success, does it? 
Well, if you look at inequality, inequality is now, whether it be in income or in wealth terms, lower than it's been for the best part of 20 years. But in relation to food banks, food bank use, in fact, I was talking to a friend of mine who works um, for in, in, in a food bank in South London, uh, in Croydon, uh, last week, in fact, it was, early last week. And I was asking her about food bank use. And in essence, there are, it's a very complex set of circumstances which often drive people to food banks. Sometimes it is purely cash and not having enough money. Sometimes there's mental health issues, there's, there's addiction, and there's also the demand, the fact that food banks, or rather the supply of it, the, food that it's, the fact that there are more food banks than there were 10 years ago will mean that, of course, food bank use will also go up. The truth is people at the bottom 20% of the income spectrum are better off, not just in cash terms, but in real terms now than they were in 2010. We are now putting a, uh, a living wage, the highest that has ever been proposed, much higher than was ever proposed under Labour. And by the way, that's higher, not just in cash terms, but dealing with current inflation as well. We are absolutely focusing, focusing on the lowest paid. We've taken, you know, many millions of people out of tax altogether by raising the income tax threshold. That is the focus of the Conservative government, which is to bring up, bring up the working and people at the, at the lowest incomes. And by all means, there's, there's further to go, of course. You know, of course, there's much more to do. We need to get more higher paying jobs in the economy, middle and higher paying jobs in the economy so that there are fewer people doing lower paying jobs. Part of that is to make sure that you can get the capital investment into businesses so that you aren't having so many people at the sort of lower end. You can use uh, machines and computers to do that. And that's also something I hope to see in the manifesto. But look, there's a lot of work to do, but we've made a lot of progress. Bim, Bim, just in closing, um, just give us in a short few sentences why you think you are the right choice and your party is the right choice for the constituents of Hitchin and Harpenden. I'll leave it with, with, with three main things. The first is education. Education is what I made my first speech in Parliament about. It's my main passion. And we are investing more in our schools if we're re-elected, we'll invest more in our schools than has ever been invested before. And that is indication of, of my commitment to that. And that will help our schools um, stay strong. The second is opposing Luton Airport expansion. Luton Airport should not grow any bigger. It is the wrong place to have an airport of a sort of Gatwick-like size. And I am absolutely full-throated in opposing Luton Airport expansion. The third is the environment. I haven't had a chance to talk about it today so far. But the environment is our biggest existential challenge. Uh, I held the first, I think there was no other MP who's done it, a climate change conference in my constituency to talk about how we get to net zero in a way that is productive, that helps the economy, that helps people and brings everybody together. That's the sort of work I'll be doing as, uh, if re-elected as Member of Parliament and continue to do. Bim Afalami, Conservative candidate for Hitchin and Harpenden, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. You can find more Radio Verulam podcasts at radioverulam.com slash podcast and support our podcasts at radioverulam.com slash donate.